So for those of those of you who have been following along for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the the book of John. Uh, last week we looked at John chapter four, where we have this awesome encounter between Jesus and this woman that he meets at a well, and. There's a pretty powerful verse towards the end of that passage that we're just going to drill down a little bit more on tonight. Um, and so I'll just read, read this scripture again, um, and, and then we've got some questions for, for us as the panel to, to dive into. And so this is starting John 4, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who will be called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. And so like we looked at last week, we see this this dialogue between Jesus and and this woman. And Jesus turns up to the well and and starts speaking to this woman. We talked about how he came into her world and initiated a dialogue with her. And Jesus says to her, give me, give me something to drink. And they have this interesting conversation between the woman who's thinking about a drink that's physical and Jesus who's talking about Um, living water, the eternal water of God, the eternal life, something so much more than physical water that he has for this lady. Last week we looked at how, you know, Jesus, um, who um, this woman perceives as a prophet, was able to see that she had had five husbands and the one that she was currently with wasn't her husband, and how Jesus doesn't address primarily her sin, but the promise that's in store for her to say, hey, lady, this is not so much about your past. It's not about the things that you've done right or wrong. It's about who I've called you to be. And so he meets her in that place. And then flowing on from there, we see um, this dialogue about Jesus uh, once again bringing to light this eternal um, promise for her. And, and talks to her about what, what the Father is really looking for. And he uses these words. He says, um, you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, I think it's interesting in verse 22, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. And so here we have a a woman who is engaged in some kind of worship, but she's worshipping a God that she doesn't actually know. She says, you know, you worship on this mountain, we worship on that mountain. And Jesus is saying, 
what are you talking about a mountain? True worship isn't about the place. It's not about what you do. It's not singing songs. It's not music. Actually, true worship really is about the laying down of your life, but from a particular position. He says, the true worshipers that the Father is seeking are those who worship in spirit and in truth. The worshippers that the Father is seeking are, are, are those worshippers who worship from a true revelation knowledge of who God is, that God has been revealed in the deepest part of their innermost being, and their lives have now become a reflection of the God that they've come to know. And so the expression of their worship, their devotion, the things that they do for Him, now flow from an entirely different place, not trying to work and do things to please Him, serve Him, but actually having, having received revelation of who He is, they're now living from the reality of the God that they know now know intimately. And He says that these are the true worshippers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this evening. What does it mean to be a, a worshipper, someone who worships in spirit and in truth? Because it's these kind of worshippers that the Father is looking to see. Is that cool? All right. We've got another couple of verses to look at, but we'll start here and we'll, and we'll see where we get to. But the first question is this, what does it mean to be a true worshipper? And why is the Father seeking these people to be his worshippers? Mel, I don't know if you want to kick us off. What, what does it mean to be a true worshipper? Um, well, I was thinking about this lady at the well and how much, <clears throat> how much it resonates to the, that, that dialogue that starts with Christ and this woman and how it started for me almost as the woman at the well. It started with this this dialogue with Christ, and as Greg has called it, and what it is, is an apostolic confrontation of your reality, and the difference between something can be true, <clears throat> things can be true, God is God, that is true, but truth is a reality. True can be true in fact and in parts, but truth is a reality, and it's the reality of the person, and so when truth, the reality, of the person of Christ confronts what's true to you, that's when you are confronted with an apostolic confrontation, a sent being that is revealing the truth, a reality that we don't know. And that's, what, that's how it started for me. And I guess uh, what, makes, what makes me a worshipper and others a worshipper in spirit and truth, what that is defined by, I think, is that apostolic confrontation that started uh, when we received the Christ by revelation in the spirit, the reality of Christ breaking forth into our truth. And uh, because of that, we can't uh, do anything other but fall down in worship at the feet of the bridegroom. And it's interesting that word um, worship, a, a picture of it could be kissing the ground. And um, I think the, the heart of a, a worshiper in spirit and in truth is one who by the spirit has come to know the spirit of God. He said, God, God is spirit, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so when we've truly encountered the freedom uh, the reality of Christ, that worshipper's heart can't help but worship the one uh, who has come in uh, 
as a confrontation, but a confrontation of love that's brought you to the ground that you now kiss the ground of the bridegroom's feet. Um, and I know that f- what that can look like, worshipping in spirit and in truth, is that it's been revealed by the spirit because the spirit is God, but it's the truth of who God is and God revealing the truth of who you are to him. That it's from that place of that knowledge and that experience that you can't, you have no other... Uh, uh, you're compelled. You're compelled to love back what you've been uh, receiving. You know, um, and you know, even when I hear the word preach, it doesn't have to be when music's on or whatever. I'm in worship, and our lives become worship. It's a gesture, a constant gesture and posture of um, giving back what we've received. Uh, but if I hear the word preached, I, honestly, there's been times where. When, when the word is being preached, the posture and the that physical act I actually want to do is go to the person's feet and just and just love right there, you know, because I know the word has just has just come into our physical reality and is confronted and loved on the inner being that has been set right by him. And so worship is is seen in so many different ways and gestures and acts, um, and it's. It's not about the gestures and acts and rigmarole about it, but it is there is an active activation of life by the spirit, right, through the expression. I was wondering, um, being filled with the spirit is that anything to do with worship? Well, I think there's a, what I hear you say, Mel, is that there's a response. Hey, you know, there's there's a response to. Um, there's a response to the, to the revelation of who he is, you know, that changes something, you know, and and we see here with this woman that her life was lived in response to worshiping a God that she didn't actually know, you know, but he's now entered into her world, you know, and and as like you said, there's a confrontation mm-hmm. to say what's the response going to be now that he's standing in front of her, eh, you know, because truth himself was, was standing right there, eh, and, and she says, this is what fascinated me, you know, he says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will declare all things to us, hey, you know, and so the Messiah is standing in front of him, you know, sharing the Messiah's reality with her. And she says, just, hey, by the way, when the Messiah comes, then we'll know, you know. And so truth was standing in front of her, but the truth at that point wasn't within her, you know. And and didn't he reveal all things about her to herself, you know, having a knowing. But even that and him revealing all things about herself, that didn't necessarily bring her to the point where she had the revelation of all things that were contained in him, eh? Yeah. You know? Otherwise, the, her response to him would have been different mm-hmm. to saying, hey, there's actually another one coming, instead of, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. you're the one, I'm on my, f-, you know? Yes. There, there, yes. there was a response, but it wasn't necessarily the response of revelation, you know, of, of worship and spirit and truth. And we don't know what happens. We know that she goes and shares a few things, but whether or not she enters into this, we, Herself, we right? don't know, mm-hmm. you know. So. I love the fact that he, and he says to her, I am the Messiah. So he actually doesn't muck around. He's like, he's not hiding it. He says, I am he. And then you, I'm not sure if you, you said this just then, but, you know, verse 29, she runs away and says, come and see a man. No, I'm the Messiah. Mm. 
Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So here's an example of not worshipping in spirit. Because he's just told you who he is, and you're going and saying, he's a man, who do you say I am? Jeremiah, John the Baptist, earth answers earthly. See, so she's answering earthly, he's speaking heavenly, but she can't hear anything he's saying. Like, how sad is that? I am the Messiah. Hello. Is he him? So you can see the disconnect. So there's a disconnect when we hear like that. So when the word goes forth, and we're going, is that the word? Dunno. We're no different to the woman at the well. And that's part of this challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Of actually hearing the one of the Spirit. You know? Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to be a true worshipper? Well, it's one that hears the spiritual word of God. It's one that knows the one who is spirit. Like, not knows about, knows and is coming to know. So every time the word is declared, you hear it. And you want to understand it. Because the one who is spirit is speaking. And yet, like, he is literally a meter in front of her. And she can't hear anything that's being said. And that can be us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that she asked that, that question, eh? Um, um, well, what, what was the verse that, um, that you just read out? That 29. Can he, can he be the Messiah? Uh, yeah, verse 29. Yeah, this is not the Christ, is it? You know, and it's interesting, eh? That when when the word is either spoken or the or the word himself is standing in front of her, it's, it's interesting. There can be two kinds of questions, eh? A question that comes from having heard the substance of what and having received, and now there's a question that comes that wants to bring clarity. But this isn't that question. This this is a question that that shows actually that the reason why you're asking this question is because you actually haven't heard at all, you know. And I think to, it comes back to me like, what's our response to him when there is that kind of confrontation? Eh? Have we received the reality of who he is, and is there a response in us to what it is that's just come out? Mm-hmm. Is it? A response from having heard, or is it a response from having not heard? You know, and and to me, that that's going on all the time in every environment. Hey, Absolutely. you know, so. Absolutely. And the beauty of you know, like, and we don't tend to get this either because we tend to want to focus on the wrong thing. But everything, so everything he's doing here is to draw her to himself, isn't it? So he's reading her mail. Mm-hmm. He's speaking prophetically over her life, so she can come to him and be healed. You see that in John 6, when he feeds the 5,000, 15,000 people. Okay? Uh, then when he, um, you know, he, he literally gives them food. You know? And so you've got this dynamic of this, these miracles happening, but what's the purpose of it? It's not just to feed people and to meet their need. 
It's like before that in Matthew, and he says, you know, if these miracles had been done in these cities, they would have repented and come to me. And then you see, in Ma- it's right in Matthew, because then he goes, come to me, all you are weary, hungry, and I will give you rest. But this is what humanity tends to do. Thanks for the miracle, see you later. Thanks for the feed, see you later. And then we go build ministries on feeding the poor and signs and wonders. But we don't actually come to the Christ, the Messiah, and eat of him and drink of him and get whole and healed. So then come into the fullness of the life he has on offer, the living water. Because we take what he does for us, but we actually don't partake of him. Correct. They can't hear, and hearing creates knowledge, faith. So she can't hear. It's no different in John 6. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, otherwise you have no life. Okay. All those people who are disciples who don't yet have the spirit go, that's a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? Because their reference point for what he's saying is what? The mind, but what are they channeling what he's saying through? Which is what? The law. So according to the law, you do not drink blood. He's saying drink blood. So they're going, this can't be the Messiah, because the Messiah wouldn't counterfeit the law. But it's a new day. And I'm the fulfillment of the law. So here's a classic of people who believe in God, who are under the Spirit, worshippers are in spirit and truth, can't hear the Spirit going, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? This can't be the Messiah. John 6 is all about who is the Messiah, because he says, I'm the bread of life. So the entire point of giving you bread, natural, is to bring you to the bread. It's a Messiah issue. And they're going... That ain't the Messiah, so what do they do? Walk away from their Messiah. Uh, come to me, you're walking away. And it says, many disciples left him that day and followed him no longer. Not non-Christians, disciples. So then he turns and says what? So then he channels it to those walking with him. They're a meter away and said, are you going too? But they have something, or Peter has something that no one else has. Now what does Peter have? Revelation. Where did he get his revelation from? The Father, because the Father had to reveal it, which the other guys don't have, correct? See how if you don't have revelation, you might walk away from something you should be walking with him too, because you can't hear it in the Spirit. Like that is sad. Because when it's presented, it's so full. Who can listen to this? Like, what are you talking about? It's so outside of their reference point. Mm. See, when you have no reference for what is being spoken and you can't hear it, you write it off. It sounds ludicrous, but it's the Word of God. Mm, You don't want to make those mistakes. You're mistaken not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. And Jesus said, why do you search the scriptures looking for eternal life? He said, they testify about me, but they're not me. Mm -hmm. 
but you're looking for life and a substance and I'm right in front of you, but you don't know I'm the Messiah. And when you don't know him as the Messiah, and I don't mean intellectually know him as the Messiah, I mean know him as the Messiah, then you're on the edge of your seat with everything the Messiah says, waiting, like Mal is saying, for the word. And when you hear the word, your natural response is to bow down and receive and then get up and live. That's just powerful, isn't it? Outside of that, it might be just going straight over your head, week in, week out. And so you're not changed because you can't hear the word. Because spiritual worshippers hear the word, eat the word, drink the word, have the life of the word. The word is performing its work within them. So they live a Christ-like life. So it really asks questions of what we're actually in. It really does. And I think it, it really asks even how every day, if we think about how many opportunities have we been given where heaven has invaded our reality, and at that point of time, how did we respond? Because some, those, those, that apostolic confrontation, and we heard this morning you know, how Christ, he leaves the top, and as we live in heavenly places, those who worship in spirit and truth live in heavenly places, come down and they serve and they lift people to go up and down and serve. And how often the the confrontation can be seen as a threat or how often it can come across um, as something that reveals maybe the truth of the heart and actually causes a, a shutting down or a, a, a almost a retrieving back um, and I just had this picture while we were praying, you know, about that confrontation of, you know, between truth, truth and true, what is true. So this woman, you know, she, she knows true things about the Messiah. She knows true things about um, the mountains and, you know, which mountain they should be worshipping from. These things are, are true, but the truth is before her, as we heard. But um, this picture of, um, and we might have seen it before, but it's like a door and it's slightly opened and you can view just enough, but all you can see is a man with like quite a threatening instrument in his hand and he's sort of leaning down. But from, from that viewpoint that you're only seeing in part because you're so consumed in your own reality that you, you, you can only see a slither, that it looks threatening. What you're seeing looks threatening. There's a man in there with an instrument and he's probably about to kill someone. I don't know what's going on there. But actually, Christ is the door. And when he does miracles or when he um, comes to us with a word that confronts the heart, he's, he's saying, I'm the door that's going to open up and I'm asking you to, as I'm broken open, you come into the reality and you see the true picture. And say the picture is you open the door and it's a dentist, like looking into someone's mouth, you know. There's, there's an actual picture of this. But the point I want to make is these confrontations, you know, what this woman was experiencing, what I know we've experienced of when Christ first, first came that blew us up and brought us into his reality, um, you can see in Scripture how people are only seeing in part because they're too consumed with their day-to-day reality. They're too consumed by their own truth. And I mean, isn't that a big thing in the world today? My truth, my truth. There's only one truth. Um, and what you might be experiencing and the things we can see day-to-day is true. But the life that's hidden in truth, 
is that's right is the actual reality of a true believer and that's why the person is the spirit and that's why the person's first and so if you don't have the person you have nothing you know you can't have the person with uh, the scriptures as your first the person's the first so the person has to be the first in all things otherwise you're trying to access life without the person and the person is life and that's what Mel is saying it can be true but it's not life because truth is a person it's the person as you continue in the word well the word is Christ then the Christ makes you free so there's a continuation of going from freedom to freedom to freedom to freedom. It's not freedom, bondage, freedom, bondage, freedom, bondage, freedom, bondage. It's not in, out, in, out. It's in, 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 in. Correct. So you've been crucified from your old patterns of living and you're not going back there and you're just... So all we can do... Just felt the Spirit say this to me. It's testify of the reality we know. Okay, it's not about. This isn't about an intellectual understanding of what we're saying. This is about a testifying of a dimension that, to the measure that we have all experienced, yep, we're testifying of. So this isn't about trying to understand what we're saying in your heads. This is about just hearing the living testimony of what Jesus has done and is doing in us as a people group, which we're hoping He's doing within you guys as well. Yeah, so it's not an intellectual exercise. If I go, okay, they said that, then I've got to do that because now that that's not what this is about. This is what's written here. This is purely testifying to what we've heard and seen and what has been accomplished within us, Jackie. So just for the sake of the recording, you know, um, Jackie, you're comparing the difference between, you know, de declaring things that are scripturally true and correct, and what's the what is the role in declaring what it is that he's spoken and entering into life? Is that? I think it's, it's a really, it's a really, really good question, you know. And I, I think, um, I, I guess to me that you know, it's, and, and firstly the question is what are we declaring, you know? And so what I heard Greg share, what what was that? He he talked about testifying, you know, and that when we're here, we're testifying of a person that we know, you know. And so the declaration is not of words; the declaration. Is of a person, and and so to me, 
the declaration is then prophetic because it's speaking something that is true and real and exists in him that when hearts are ready humble able to receive that the word of god has the power to birth that same life you know so to to me what does it mean to proclaim his his word to me that's the the primary you know that's that's the primary thing i think there's a and i wonder if the, the almost like the secondary thing is if we are if when what does it mean to proclaim it if we're not testifying from that place is that kind of what you're saying what's if we're not in it are we able to proclaim it until we get in it is that Armor of God. The armor, you know, and like yeah. I went through this phase of like every morning, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, like because it was this thing that yep. if you weren't saying it, it wasn't yeah. happening, that kind yeah. of yeah. And so if you're praying for someone for healing, if you're declaring the word, is that where the power is? Like, you know, like I'm kind of trying to yep. figure that out. Yep. And this, this is the thing that, so there's two operating systems you're describing. There's the operating system that one speaks from revelation as the operating system where one doesn't have revelation and just speaks words. Okay? One is empty and powerless and one is full of power. And it is really hard to explain this in English okay? because the word is a person. So firstly, the word is not words. It's a person. And that's the place you must speak the words from, the scriptures from. It's the personhood of Christ. So Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Well, he was the spirit. So when he spoke, he's not speaking scriptures, he's speaking himself, which is the word. Okay. So this is the difference between even preaching and preaching. Anybody can get up and speak the written words, but have no power. But you're quoting words from the book, but there's no power. Another person gets up, doesn't even have the book, doesn't make any reference to the book and starts speaking the word which is power. And you know the difference. It becomes very easily to discern if they're both there together because one's moving you and doing things within you and the other one's just tickling this. And the one that has the word, you won't understand it unless you've actually had it revealed. But the one who's speaking words, you'll go, oh, I understand that. I understand that concept. Oh, I love that analogy. That ain't it. See? So the problem is, is that you have to be in the word to have any power in the words you speak because you're not speaking empty scriptures. You're speaking him. And Paul preached him. Saul preached Judaism. And that's how, you, that's how you can be, when you know the word, you can actually proclaim things that aren't actually written in scripture, but you've heard by faith from the word himself, that you're now proclaiming, which means you're claiming, you're actively claiming what you've heard and seen in the unseen, so that 
when you are proclaiming, you're actually proclaiming what already is and is finished in the person, and you see that come to be. So you're not proclaiming out of anything empty. It's the person of Christ that has already spoken, has already done the work, has already finished. So that's why I think it's so important to hear, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. And now here's the other side of the equation, okay? God is merciful. God is gracious. So when we're doing our ABCs and dances and doing all this, it's not necessarily because we're doing the ABCs. It's because he's gracious and he's merciful and he acts. Now, here's the thing. That can lead you astray. Because when he acts out of his mercy, not out of you, you can think, oh, look at that. That worked. And so I'll do that again. And it doesn't work. No, because it's actually not of heaven. It's of you, but his mercy's covering you while you're doing what you're doing. And he's hoping that you're going to learn and come into what it is to receive revelation. So you speak from revelation, which is the person. And that's what you see in John 5.39. He says, you guys, you're all searching the scriptures, looking for life in the scriptures. They testify of me. So the purpose of the scriptures are not to be proclaimed. They point you to him. Then when you've got him, then the scriptures come alive. So when you speak, you're actually speaking him, which may come out as scriptures, but they're not empty words. They're the word of heaven. And this is why I just want to read you this in Luke 24, because this is a fantastic reality of what I'm trying to explain, which is Jesus meeting two guys on the road to Emmaus. Okay? And he says this, then beginning with Moses, this is Jesus, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he's the word. Like Jesus never proclaimed anything. He spoke from revelation. So the other thing as a side note is if you want to look at models, look at Jesus. So did Jesus ever get up there and start proclaiming what we do and hoping to come into life? No. So there's your example of how back to front that is because he didn't do it and he's the prototype. He was in the word. He was the word. He's the living demonstration of the word. So when he opened his mouth, he just spoke himself, which he said, my words are spirit and life. The flesh profits you nothing, which is that's an operating system of the flesh. It's a bit like memorization. If I can memorize it and then if I can speak it, I'm going to have life. Well, you talk to all those people, they're still doing that, and they're not necessarily really in the life of what they're actually practicing. No, that's why she said it's on revelation, purely full stop. And then that challenges you as to, actually, I don't even know if I even can operate from that, but I can do that other thing. And this is this whole thing about learning to apply rather than learning to become. Very different. Sounds similar. Greg, are you saying we don't apply? No, when you become, you will naturally apply. And so in the beginning was the word. Out of the word came words that man wrote down. But the written word is the spoken word, isn't it? Because it got spoken first. So it's actually the spoken written. Like it's not spoken and written, it's spoken written which requires hearing, not understanding in mind, because you don't, if I'm speaking to you, you know, you're not going, you're not trying to go here, it's like you're hearing me, you're not reading me. 
So you're hearing. So you've got to hear. And I have to speak the word, not words. So it's my, my, I can't be just quoting this stuff. I've got to know the reality that's concealed that this writes about called a person called Jesus. So I don't need that to speak because I know the person to the measure I know the person. So I'm speaking him. I release the aroma of him, not words. One is full of power, one's just empty words. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 19 to 20, I'm coming to test not your words, your power. Anybody can talk words, but I'm coming to see if you've got any power. Ah, and that's why he said, my life is the demonstration of my message. My life is the message. No longer do I come in flash words. I come as the demonstration myself. And so what I speak comes from who I am. I've become one. Whereas Saul was all about Judaism. He would teach Judaism. He was teaching words. Paul was all about preaching him. And they sound the same, but they are not in operation. And that's what becomes really confusing because you need to know and discern who's speaking what. You know? Because not everything that comes out is the word. It can be talking about all sorts of stuff. So how do I know it's him? Because it says every treasure of wisdom and knowledge is contained in him. So if I know him, then I'll hear what's him and what's not him. So that's the reality that stops you being deluded from persuasive arguments from people that talk about this and talk about that, even talk about visions and dreams. And it all sounds very prophetic and nice, but there's no substance behind it. And that's the challenge. And it is an epic thing, right? <laughs> it's just that the, but the ultimate revelation is of the person in us, eh? You know, it's not necessarily being, and this is, you know, it's not necessarily being caught up into the third heaven and seeing visions. And even though that that's true, you know, that that's part of what's available in him, ultimately revelation is of, of him, hey, you know? The un, yeah, that's right. The unveiling of who he is, you know? I think to me, I just as you're sharing, Greg, you know, like what it says, it's so important that we are that we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. You know, it's a spiritual transformation of our heart and our mind that changes us, not the receiving of words. You know, and I think even Jackie, as you're sharing about like the armor of God and visualizing almost these you know, visualizing putting on the armor or doing different things, you know, it's like there's a big difference between visualization and revelation, you know, that when actually we have a revelation of the person in us, why would we need to visualize ourselves putting on what it is that he's actually, like, if he's formed it in us, why is it going off and on and off and on and off and on and off and on, you know, when actually the, the armor of God is to be Christ in us, you know, and that if we, if we have a revelation of who he is, 
we're not constantly trying to, to make up a world in our own minds. We've actually been renewed in the spirit of our mind to the reality of who he is so that we can actually just live yeah, with he, him in us. If he's eternal life, then every time we receive eternal life, it's a permanent thing. It's not, you know, there's no need for on, off, in, out. It's permanent. It's eternal, you know, worth. Mm. <coughs> Any other any other thoughts or comments or questions? Um, is the wilderness a good place to get revelation? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I was there. Is the wilderness a good place for revelation? The wilderness. The wilderness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's the best place to get revelation. I thought you said the world, Warren. I'm like, please <laughs> not. <laughs> And that's the thing. And she, you're right. So she, she's she's being stirred. She has no idea what she's being stirred from, but she's being stirred. But there must be a fulfilment of the reality and not stuck and staying. So, you know, they left Egypt. They were in the wilderness and they entered the promised land. So you've got to complete the passage. You can't just stay hovering in something that you think but you never enter into. Okay, and that's the parable of the sea where it's one thing to hear and get excited but you've got to understand. Otherwise, what you hear will get choked up. So it lasts for three or four weeks. You'll be excited for a period of time, but then when persecution because of where the word comes or riches, wealth, all the things, then it all dissipates and you're back to square one. So it's awesome that she's being stirred. It's awesome. She did a lot better than the rich young ruler who ran away. He ran up. He heard, didn't like, he ran away. Okay? And Jesus let him go away. Jesus is, offers everyone this freedom, doesn't he? So she, he comes to her. He engages with her. She has no idea, so she starts talking about stuff. And he's switching it up on her, and she's got no idea. She's talking about this. And all of a sudden she says, give me that water. Mm. Good. 
like, I still don't know what you're talking about, but you're talking about some water and I don't have to come back here because I've got to come back here in the day. I'm out here on my own because of the lifestyle I live and there's a lot of shame with that. So I'm out here when no one else is coming. If you've got some water, I never have to come back here again. This is good. But she's got no idea what he's talking about. Then he reads her mail and she's going, how does this guy know my mail? Could he be? Could he be? Well, I am. And then she runs away and tells her people, but you never know whether she actually comes back and you never know if she comes to the fullness of life. Now, we can make all that up for it to be a nice story and end well, because we like that version of the Bible, <laughs> rather than it just being left unknown and there's the mystery and we don't know. But it's really not about the woman at the well, it's about me. Yeah. And that's the challenge. So I want to be in process. I want to come into the reality of the process. I don't want to spend my entire life in process. I want to come into the reality of the substance of Christ, not in the shadow, not in the what lofty this and the lofty that and the lofty this and the lofty that. I want to come into the substance and the reality of the person through revelation, not through declaration or memorization, so then I can live like Christ lived while I have a chance here on earth. That's right. And once you're in the person... Process is actually progress. It's not just process all the time. It's progress. You're progressing constantly, faith to faith, strength to strength. It's such a big difference from processing the same thing over and over. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's a it's a different kind of process. It's a progression, and it talks about that in Hebrews. You know, there's there's um, it it's not okay to stay stale it's not okay to stay in one place the word the effect of the gospel the effect of christ in us is that there has to be a progression constant progressing Mm. you have to ask yourself i'll just read this because you have to ask yourself how you learn okay so he says come to me and learn from me so the natural way of learning is through the intellect isn't it Okay, so you see this in Ephesians 4 verses 17. It says, the Christians walk. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Like he goes straight for the jugular. <laughs> to try and understand me in your mind is futility. And you're living as you've always lived as a Gentile because you were all Gentiles. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Now, who are Gentiles? We are. So if you're still living by this, this is talking to you. But he loves you. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to the sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity, with greediness, still a lover of self. In the last days, men and women will be lovers of self, and hard times will prevail. We're really in those days. But you did not learn Christ in this way. That's right. So now he throws it up. He's saying, you didn't learn Christ in this way. This is who you were, but this is how now you're becoming because you're not learning like this. If indeed you have heard him, So if you haven't heard him, you're probably in this mode of being. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, 
that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The key is learn. How do you learn? Well, I know how I used to naturally learn, and it's in my brain. And I study, and I read, and I look at scriptures, and I look at different things if the context is this. And I can apply the learning patterns in the world to the learning patterns in Christ. And it's not the same learning system. They are completely opposite. But that doesn't mean I'm not applying the different, I, don't, I might not even know. So they looked at Jesus and the disciples and they said, this man is untaught. And you're saying that to the Messiah. What do you know? <laughs> and they looked at his men and they said, these guys are untrained. But they said they recognized they had been with, been with Christ. But it actually didn't do them much good when they were with Christ. <laughs> Did it? It was only actually after Christ left that they actually started coming into life because life went from here to here. And so like here with the woman, yes, Jesus is in front of her, but Jesus is not yet in her. So she has no recollection or reference for what he's saying because until that spirit comes in, you can't hear the spirit because it's spirit to spirit. So just like those guys in John 6 who didn't yet have the spirit, but they did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but then when the Messiah spoke, all of a sudden it's not quite adding up to the Messiah. But we believed he was the Messiah before he spoke. Now he's speaking, we don't believe. Well, that's a funny sort of a belief, isn't it? So these are the tensions that we've got to walk through because we are so ingrained in earth and the way we learn of earth has nothing to do with the way we learn in the kingdom. But many just take one operating system and plonk it into the other and wonder why we're not in life. But we can have a whole lot of information but no life. It really shows how the disciples and even Christians, they're not, you know... <laughs> yeah, just say it. <laughs> you almost have to convince them that they are what they were once, or they are carnal-minded, darkened by understanding. But those who were unbelievers and found in their carnal mind, when they come into Christ, they know the light in the in the view of the mercy of God. They they know that. But the disciples, and I think even. The church today, they still have to be convinced that they're operating in a, with a carnal mind, darkened understanding. They haven't been enlightened to the word as yet because there would be a reference, right? There would be a real sense and a real, a real conviction of heart of when you were reading that, that carnal mind, that darkened understanding, the callous heart. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to convince me. I know that. I, that, that, was, that was my reality. And that's the reality that the apostolic confrontation broke through with the truth of who he is and what we're, what I was called to be, you know, which is enlightened and alive to Christ and to God. But it's it's amazing just hearing you, just thinking, yeah, like, you know, without the word himself, Christians still need to be convinced that they're operating, if it's not Christ, they're operating 
incarnal and So flesh. what did you receive <laughs> that brought this knowledge to life in you? Christ. Through? The Spirit, revelation. That, it's the only... <laughs> And you weren't even around this, no, were you? No, oh. and, and, and completely without feeling, as it says, without feeling towards God, without any kind of sense that there was a reality bigger than me. I mean, I was <laughs> the centre of the world. Like, you know, it was my reality was my reality. And and what other people did affected me. And, you know, it, it, it's just the centre of your universe. But when the centre of the universe, the creator of the universe comes and takes hold of you, it's that revelation. And as we said last week, it's the exalted Christ. When you see Christ lifted up as he truly is and <laughs> who you are before him, you know, um, that's, that's when you break. Um, what is that for me? That I guess I, one of the best books to describe that is Colossians to me. It's Christ, Christ crucified, Christ lifted up. It's like um, God, love. More talk to me from your heart. What's going on in you? Like that sight in you. Of what it, yeah, Christ lifted up, Christ exalted. So, so when you get that revelation, <clears throat> that's working in here, which is freeing you from you being the center of your universe. And now, <laughs> I love yeah. that. There's been a seismic shift on Absolutely. the inside. Mm -hmm. And you've left and he's come in, and you're a number two and he's number one. But it sounds, can sound lofty, eh? I've seen the law. Well, Um, I've described it before and hopefully this helps it's like um, the, the hellish reality it was like he he, sh he had to reveal that to me the, re the reality of who, who I was and what I'd become but it was the fact that love Love still decided to show and reveal himself to me as he truly is that cracked me open and brought me from death into life. It, it brought me alive to him. And so, and this is interesting because when it says worship in spirit and in truth, that word spirit is the breath of God. And so it's like he, it's, it's death to what I was once breathing, once living, and it's like he resuscitated me with his breath. But not only did he resuscitate me with the breath and the vigor of the spirit, um, th that word spirit is the breath, but it, it also talks about animated. You become animated. And, and guys, this is like, I know sometimes I come across very excitable, very, but I am, I'm animated in the spirit. And you can take me back to the first church building where this all happened in the UK and it's, you know, pews and organ music and, you know, a bit different, but... but but when I hear people go, oh, you know, it was so deadening. It's like, no, you're alive. Christ in me gave me vigor and life and spirit that it it's causes me to be animated and excited to live a life that where it says in Romans that you, you know, 
offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Don't offer me services, you know, um, lip service or he's not talking about idols. He's not talking about dead animals. He's like, your, your life that has come alive to me because of the breath that I resuscitated you with and into my reality, now live as a living sacrifice. And that is your worship. And so it, it, it changes you. It's, it's, that's what happened to me. It yeah. was the vigor of life, Christ's life, Christ's self, brought, brought me to him and to the inside of his being. That's what I feel like. It's so, like I live in Christ just every day. Who gave you that again? He did. No. He did. Yeah. You, you, the key is to listen for key words as people are speaking. Christ gave me that. That's the key to it all. Then out of that comes the expression of what was given. Why do you work for food that perishes? Why don't you come and get some food from the one who gives eternal food that will never perish? I give. You don't learn I give and you learn. See, it's the complete opposite to the world, isn't it? Earn it, have it. No, I have to earn it, have it. No, thank you, Lord, I'm going to go and earn my own and I'm going to catch my own fish. Okay, anybody else? So I just encourage you, just list these key words that are flying out as Mel was speaking there, and they're the key doors that entry to this life. Do you want to share, man? I guess just to encourage everyone, a more recent, um, literally, literally Christ lifted up before me. Um, and uh, my first reference point for hearing and receiving the word <laughs> and not the words was at the well and Greg was speaking, but I can't even really remember what he was saying. But as he was speaking, the word himself was literally in my heart's mind and my spirit being lifted up so high, way above everything else. And everything in my life was becoming so small and I couldn't even see it in my base periphery. It was gone. And he was, he was up there and he was saying, here I am. And this is where I'm bringing you to. And I am other. That's what he said to me. I am other. Completely other. And I have, I have a reference point for what there is now. Actually, Christ lifted up in my heart. And, and to hear the word now, and it's not about the words, and I know what that means now. You know, this is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know, having heard the true testimony of what it means to actually receive him, you can so easily see the deception of learning about him without necessarily entering into the person of Christ, eh? you know, and I think that's, you know, it's both the greatest danger and the greatest opportunity, you know, that, that to, to hear about receiving a person in you that does this work that you actually can't receive through learning, through human education, through all of your efforts, is either going to be the most incredible day of your life or the most infuriating and frustrating day, right? You know, because all of your effort needs to fall to the ground and surrender 
to what it is that's just been brought to light in front of you, eh? You know? And so that's the opportunity that we all have when the words proclaim. What's our response, you know? Do we, uh, do we receive in us the reality of what's been spoken, eh? You know? Or do we reject because actually in our own world and in our own mind, we're so... Um, full of our own learning and our own operating system that it, it sounds like loss when it was always supposed to be great gain, hey? You know, so. Test. What is grace? Okay. So God gives grace to the... And what does he do to the proud? God gives power to the humble and he opposes... The proud. Proud of what? Which is heart, isn't it? So God gives his power to those who are humble. What does his power do? It enables us to live, but resurrects us. What else does it do in relation to wisdom? It reveals. So Paul said, make sure your faith doesn't rest on man's wisdom, correct? Man's ability to understand. Don't have your faith on that. If you have your faith on that, you have no faith. Your faith has to rest on the power of God. So it's the power of God that opens up the realm in God for one to see. No power, no faith. So we talk faith. We talk blind faith. By faith, I'm by faith. It's like, no, faith, if you say you have faith, tell me what you're looking at. You'll know them by their faith because they'll have knowledge of what's in the unseen realm because the power opens it up, not my ability to learn. So through my absolute surrender and posturing, because God gives power to those who have humble of spirit, because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So the church is supposed to be stewards of every mystery in the kingdom. What are the mysteries of the kingdom? If I'm supposed to be a steward, we talk about stewardship, don't we? Right, so we're supposed to be stewards of the kingdom mysteries. Tell me some of them. Because you're stewarding them. You can only steward what you know. So if you don't know anything about the kingdom, you can't steward anything, which means you're not in who you're called to be because we're called to be stewards of the kingdom. So what's the greatest mystery in the kingdom that we're supposed to be stewarding and protecting and guarding and living from that Paul said most people don't even know it because the enemy's got you so hoodwinked and wrapped around his little finger because you're all trying to understand this thing in your mind and he lets you. See the dynamics of who we're really called to be. But if we're trying to learn this through the ways of man, we won't have a clue. And most people, if I can just say this, don't. But that's okay. But it's do you want to? But then we've got to look at the operating system and go, oh, that operating system is demonic. As James said, it's the wisdom of darkness. Paul said the wisdom of God is the ability to live as God lived. And he says, the mature hear the words I speak because they've come through what process? Christ, Christ crucified, which is purely revelation. 
So as you go through Christ, Christ, crucified through revelation, the whole realm in the person, it's not outside the person, opens up. Every promise, every promise that's yes and amen. How many promises are there? Well, here's one. You're all called to be stewards of the kingdom of God because blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which means you're a peacemaker. What are some of the beatitudes that we're all supposed to be by now? The being attitudes. Who can tell me what they are? There's nine of them. Number one. Number one defines everything else, correct? Right. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're poor in spirit or you're proud of heart so God goes... See you, I'm going over here. Because God gives grace, power. That's why grace isn't a covering. Why do you need to be covered? God gives a covering. No, God gives power to the humble, grace to the humble, and he opposes the proud. And the Bible says he knows the proud from afar. So he knows you, but you're over there. And he's going, are you ready to come back as a loving father? But if you want to go play over there, play over there. My eye is on you, but I want you here. Why? Because I want to share all that's in me with who I've chosen, the commonwealth of Israel. What? Oh, Greg, can you be quiet? My head's hurting now. There's so much that we've got to come into. It ain't funny. And very few people actually even know about it. Because we're teaching this other stuff, and it might be good, but what about what's in him that's the word that performs a work that actually now has you living for a dimension that you couldn't live before? Because you couldn't live for what you're talking about until that happened, correct? No way. You can't live this life, and the Christian life is not trying to be Christian. That's legalism. The Christian life is going, I can't. I cannot save myself, which means I cannot change myself, which means I cannot renew any part of me. It is all a work of grace through the surrendering and the yielding of me. It strips you of all your ability, all what you think you are, all your, even your gifting, what's God given, until you actually come contrite in heart, a broken person waiting to be put back together. Now he says, run. But you're not running from your strength. You've got a brand new strength, a brand new power source, and now you actually can. And there's no seasons. It's going from one measure of glory to another. It's full overflowing, full over. There's no dry season in Christ. Christ never said, I've got a dry season. Oh, I'm suffering for revelation, so I'm in a dry season. We create all this stuff to give us the feeling of feeling good, and being out of Christ, then we then justify it. And we go, oh, you're, you're in a season too. Oh, it's a dry season. Oh, I'm in a dry. What are you talking about a dry season? He is the example. There is no dry season. Find me a dry season in the spirit in here. It actually tells me I'm going from strength to strength. Yes, my physical body is decaying. 100%. I give vouch to that. My knees are stuffed. My back's hurting. But my inner man is going from one measure of strength to another, to another, to another, because I'm eating and drinking, because I've understood and come into the learning process of heaven. What it is to abide in the spirit, not because you're trying. 
because he's taking you there. He takes you there and you enter into something called the person called Sabbath rest. And he takes you behind the veil and you're like, man. But it's here. And it's this ability to do something you never, ever could do. And then when you taste that, you want more. How much can I, this can I have? It's unlimited. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, hey, you get animated, all right? If you're not, then you're not in it. Because it, you want it? Do you? Yeah, you want it? Yeah, okay, let's, let's do this together. Do you want it? Oh, well, what's it going to cost? Oh, yeah, no, a bit busy. You know? And that's is what it is, but... <laughs> Do you know you're called to be a steward of the mystery of kingdom of heaven now on earth? Like you're going to judge angels? Not everyone will. <laughs> yeah, man, I've got a lot of revelation going on. One hundred percent. Where the spirit is, there is liberty. Sons, what do they do? Walk in the spirit, hear in the spirit, live in the spirit, partake of the spirit. The flesh profits you nothing. So the more you partake of the living mana that is sent daily. You live as he lived. You walk as he walked. You're not perfect. You're becoming perfect, like your heavenly father's perfect. But you're seeing things, know things. And it's like that food source, like Mal's describing, it enters literally into you and it's power. So the promise has power. The word is power. Jesus is the word. Jesus is power. Jesus is the wisdom. When Jesus Christ reveals himself greater measure on the revelation of the Christ, I will build my church. So when Jesus builds his church, yeah, it's not Sam's church. It's not my church. It's not Mel's church. It's not our church. It's his church. We are his church. When he builds his church through the revelation of himself, you can't touch us. Can't touch the do 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 do. That was bad. <laughs> You're lucky I wasn't standing. I might have done a bit of Those were in the 80s. Those were the days. <laughs> Those big baggy pants. Lord save us oh, I just ruined it There you go Spiritual words With spiritual thoughts But the natural man Does not understand The things of Christ Because they are not Spiritually appraised Correct? And I think You know Just in what In what you're saying You know um, to, to me you can, be, you can be a Christian and not know the operating system of heaven that you're describing, hey, you know. And when I hear Mal share, and when I hear you share, it's it's there's been a you've you've entered into right from the get go this operating system of heaven, having received him from day one, you know. But that's not necessarily the reality for many in, in the church, right? You know, and, and I know for me, you know, what what you're describing. I, I spent many, many years trying in every effort that I possibly could to enter into it, and it left me so, so frustrated and even bitter and 
you know, and, and I think it, it's like the, the reality of what I experienced as a Christian is the reality of what maybe you guys experienced in the world because the, what was going on inside of me was absolutely the same just in another context, you know. And I think, to, to me, this is the greatest danger is that my knowledge had become my idol and my natural learning of who he was had actually gotten in the way of of what it meant to actually, and I, and I love what you, you shared, because it, the, the scripture that you read out didn't say you haven't come to know about Christ in this way. It didn't say you didn't learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn it. It, doesn't, it doesn't say you didn't learn about Christ. It doesn't say you didn't learn Christ, you know? And, and all the learning about him didn't necessarily bring me into learning him the person in me, you know, and I think that for, for so many in the church, I, I feel like that's the the greatest danger and the greatest um, deception is not, is actually in our perceived knowledge, you know, and the thing that we think that we have is the greatest barrier to actually what it is that he's looking to bring us into, eh? you know, and all of that knowledge and all of that learning system in that way needs to be crucified and we need to receive him in us, hey, you know, because you can spend your entire Christian life learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth, which the Bible prophesied of, you know, because truth was never supposed to be facts. You can confuse the facts with the truth, hey, because the truth is a person, hey, you know. So you can't testify about something that you have no revelation of, correct? So if I can use you as an example... Sam has come into the reality that Mel and I have, but if Sam is speaking a reality before that, he's going to teach you how he's entering into life, isn't he? Which he's acknowledging today is not the way. So you have to be able to discern that because that's actually not his heart, but he's a false teacher. So the false teacher comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? So this, that is not Satan, the teacher, it's a Pharisee. You go have a look at it, it's one who teaches another way into the pen. So they actually try to lead you to life in themselves. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were bringing people to themselves, weren't they? And actually going, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, you're going to come to us. So they were taking people away from Christ instead of to Christ. False teachers. Their whole heart, but they didn't know that, did they? Like they genuinely don't think this guy's the Messiah. So they think they're doing everybody a favor. Hello? It happens today. The intention of the heart is not that, but it happens. Just because the intention of the heart doesn't mean it happens. So there's an evidence. If Sam is talking without this revelation, he's going to lead you as a teacher to how he learns. And of course, that's the natural that everyone relates to. So we go, yes and amen. But like you've just heard, he couldn't live it. And then God has to show him this isn't the way. So then there's this frustration. And you've got to feel the frustration and then channel it heavenly. Yeah, like, don't channel it earthly, channel it heavenly. Ooh, come on, I'm sick and tired of this. Good, get angry. <laughs> Release the mongrel from inside and scream. I can't do this, good. <laughs> you know, that's what he's looking for, man. When I've had interesting conversation with God and he's big enough to handle it all, yes, yes, yes. but he'll come back at you 
So get ready for the response. He'll come back at you and he'll let you scream and have a pity party and have a cry in the corner. He says, you finished? No. Okay, keep going. Are you ready? Yeah, right. Now let's dialogue, son. He won't scream back at you. He'll let you scream at him and he'll speak calmly in love. So you're ready for change now. Yes. Okay. Do it your way. He'll let us get to the end of ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I know for me, the thing that I was most adamantly opposed to was the thing that actually ended up setting me free, you know? <laughs> Which, the thing I was adamantly opposed to was people talking about life that was freely given because I hadn't experienced what it meant to receive something that was absolutely given for free, but that was the very thing that set me free from me, you know? That after all of my effort and all of my trying... There was something in a moment that opened up to me and the things where I was previously so articulate, I feel like the, and the moment that I received him is the thing that I've found hardest to put in words ever since that day, you know? What it meant to receive for free, it, there, was a, there was a scripture that came in it said, you know, like, um, behold, the tabernacle of God was is among men. But it wasn't. The, it's not the scripture. It's what I received that the scripture opened up. You know that the tabernacle is among men. Christ, I, I I saw in my spirit Christ entering into me, and I almost it was like I saw two things. I saw all of my energy and effort and all of my trying, and then I saw Christ coming in and receiving for free what I couldn't earn and it and it absolutely floored me and the thing that ran through my mind that I didn't even it wasn't like I was trying to think but it was man everything that I've ever learned before I've got to ab- the, the, the thing that happened, I've got to absolutely rethink everything that I've ever believed about God <laughs> before then, you know, and it just came unsolicited through my mind, but I felt like I laid hold of him like I was absolutely drowning, you know, and I'd sh- I've shared before that, you know, this, this, this thing took such a toll on my physical body that my beard started going white-gray because of how... Um, hard I was trying and yet how frustrated I was that I couldn't receive life you know and the thing that came was receiving for free what I couldn't earn in all of my human effort and it absolutely floored me you know and we talk about like what does it mean for um, you know we talked about the God of self and how it's the will that needs to be crucified and that you know and, and there was a great question that Jane asked in our discipleship group the other week is, do you still, once the God of self is crucified, can you still mature? Absolutely, you know, but something happened to me in that, in that day that my way of living was for the first time after having lived as a Christian for so many years, absolutely came to a complete, utter, staggering halt. And that to the extent that I was like, as a dying man, grabbed hold of a lifeboat that was about to save me from me, you know? It was like I was literally drowning, in the, you know, and I came up for breath for the first time in my life, you know? And so my way was crucified in that day, and it doesn't mean that there wasn't a 
process of transforming and renewing the mind and there's things that he's been doing in me now that are new and fresh and living and but it's like you said that it's like almost like that was the starting point of an of the actual real process hey you know because all the process up until that point was human learning which was eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and it was actually good but it just wasn't life you know and all of a sudden the process the true process started because I had died and now my life was now hidden in him and the growth now was by the spirit and not by my own effort it was a growth that had come from him eh? and, it, and so we talk, we talk about actually the flesh you know the flesh profits nothing because man's absolute finest efforts cannot bring you into resurrected life hey and the life of the spirit and so it is it's the most beautiful and humbling thing and it's like you're saying Greg you know God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud you know and I received grace for the first time because I received power in me to actually live out of the reality of him you know which I could only look at and hope for before you know and that wasn't even even really hope it was just wishful thinking of something that was always outside of me you know and so as christians we need a transition from death to life hey you know we need to receive the gospel that crucifies our way of even coming to know him our learning system our operating system and actually be rerouted in him to be able to begin to live hey you know and so that to me that's the beauty of fellowship hey you know that actually we can have entirely different life situations but actually the gospel is the gospel and we need to receive the person him you know just thinking about when you were saying you know the perceived learning you perceived a learning of a way of coming to know about christ and just the 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 difference again of the 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 new life in Christ and the old man is again it's the difference between perceived value of what you think life is versus the actual value which is the power of Christ in us that is the actual value of who we are that's in us and the and how the Pharisees you know all the laws and the traditions and the things they made out, made up and and almost enforced on man to do and it actually says that they they, they actually were the, the very thing that was blocking people from coming to know Christ because, because of what they perceived was godliness and what they perceived as coming to know him through doing things. And this is another thing in Christianity. It's like, where do you get your perception from? Is it from people's opinions or what the mob say? In the sense of, you know, even when you get your house evaluated, you know, the perceived value is the one that, others opinion of what the worth of your home is but the actual value is the difference and the actual value is what Christ gives us and so even that's the difference between the perceived life of what we think is valuable and what we think life is about is perception but the actualization which is the reality and a demonstration it's a power-filled life a reality which is truth is the actual value and that's what we wake up to. Hallelujah. Because you don't want to live in that for the rest of your life. What a waste. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. Illusion. And it's that life that brings you to the reality of him. Because yeah. a lot of people can go down the negative path and go, does that mean my whole life is a waste of time? 
I go, no, because it actually shows you and, and prepares you for a reality. And so you're now being made aware of what you can't enter into, you know, and that's the value in it, is the fact that you can't, you know. So then it prepares you for what he can do. And that's what makes it so beautiful. And the value of, of him is of, of greater worth than the thing that you thought that you had that was worth some value, hey, you know. And no one ever in that moment, having seen the value of who he is, would actually want to go back to, you know, like, it is, what does it say? It's like um, a, a, a dog going back to its own vomit, you know, the thing that, that previously came from it, it's now eating up, you know, and, and so it is the, the value of, of knowing him is more precious than, than anything else, hey, you know. So if you find yourself in this position tonight of being frustrated, disillusioned, ready to throw the towel in, there is hope. And the hope is in him. You're actually in a very, very good place because you're aware of a reality that you're not able to bring yourself into because many people aren't even there. And they have no comprehension of not even having that knowledge. And this is the thing. So I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you this hope. He is who he is. He does what he does, what he says he is. He is unchangeable. He doesn't lie. Don't take yourself out of the birthing process. It's painful. Yes, the birthing process is painful, isn't it? But after the process comes life. And when that life comes out, the pain dissipates. You start having a vague memory, and in time, then we're going to go through it all again, aren't we? Why do women go through birth? That's right. Because of the life that they receive, correct? <laughs> you know, why would you go through four times? <laughs> Why would you go through five, six times? Why would you go through one time? Because when that life comes out, it's the value of the life that you have as a reference, and that dissipates. So please stay in there. Please hang in there. Lay hold of him. Grab hold of his skirt tails, whatever it is. But carve out time. Make time for the one who is time. Is that cool? So Lord, I thank, you, thank Lord. you for who you are. I thank you that you love us and you don't hold any of this against us. You want to make us aware of a reality that's in you, that's to be in us. Because you have predestined everyone in this room before they ever were. You have a plan for us as a body to which you are the head. You have a plan for your nation called Israel, which is made up of Jew and Gentile of the Spirit. You have a kingdom that you brought with you, and you're looking for subjects of that kingdom. We have been chosen and called to be ambassadors, sons, priests, a bride, soldiers, disciples, friends of the Most High God. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Receive the word of the Lord, which propels you into life. Out of darkness, out of 
the sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Father, I declare hope. I declare you. You are hope. You are peace. You are joy. So Holy Spirit, as we leave tonight, reveal your Son in us. May we ask, seek, and knock. May within us rise a heart cry of desperation, a thirst, and a hunger that is beyond our humanity, a desire that you put there, Father. We need you to do such a deep work through our yielding to you, to your sovereignty. Do what we cannot do. Make it so innate that we know it is of you and not as of us that we will glorify your name. 